probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Happy Halloween, and welcome to a very special episode of the Thing Minute Podcast. There's still a regular episode out today as we continue the week with Mark from the DC Cinematic Minute and Tarantino Minute podcasts, but since it's the scariest day of the year, I thought it'd be a perfect time to do something special. Before we get to that, a quick announcement. Unfortunately, due to a huge influx of work and some scheduling issues, the podcast is going on a short hiatus after this week. I know, I know, that sucks. It's not something I planned on, but this month I've gotten a ton of work, which is awesome, but it's cost me all of my lead time on pre-recorded episodes. I'm already in the process of recording the next several weeks of shows, and I hope to be back on a daily schedule by mid to late November. In the meantime, I hope this episode will tide all of you listeners over. So what is it? As you may have heard us talk about it in episode 57, there's a scene from the script by Bill Lancaster that was never filmed. There are several of these, but one in particular is pretty interesting and would have had a major impact on the plot, but it was deemed too expensive to film. If you'd like some more background on why it never went into production, I really encourage everybody to check out Stuart Cohen's amazing blog. I'll leave a link to that particular post in today's show notes. I decided that the best way to have some fun with this never-filmed scene would be to recreate it in a place where the costs of big special effects and sets don't matter, the wonderful world of audio. What will follow is a dramatic reading of this part of the script, complete with all the characters' voices, sound effects, and music. While I cut together the sound effects and music, I literally could not have started this at all without the extremely generous help of the Atlanta Radio Theater Company, who provided their talented voices to this episode. David Benedict and their team did a phenomenal job of bringing these characters to life, and I hope you'll become as big a fan of their work as I am if you aren't already. On top of doing some wonderful live performances, they produce several podcasts that I highly recommend. First is the Centauri Express, which collects serial audio fiction. That show is currently running a super fun adventure serial called Nairobi Jack Rackham and the Lost Gold of Atlanta Mangani. The company also just launched a brand new podcast earlier this month that I'm really excited for called Mercury, A Broadcast of Hope. It's a daily show that chronicles a zombie apocalypse through the voices of those holed up in a radio station. So far, it's a really fascinating and funny story that explores the weirdness of living in a post-apocalyptic world. The episodes are short and crazy bingeable and perfect for the Halloween season. Please check out both these shows and learn more about the Atlanta Radio Theater Company at www.artc.org. They're an awesome group of folks and one of the longest-running and important contributors to the growing landscape of audio fiction, so please support them. Now for the show. Here's a bit of setup. Blair, now fully aware of the dire situation that the group is in, just trashed the helicopter and radio room. McCready and the others were able to subdue him and have now locked him up. Windows is attempting to fix the radio, but isn't having much luck. There are still a few dogs that survived the earlier attack and were sedated in the kennel, but Clark is about to tell us otherwise. Clark comes running into the room, pallid, out of breath. The men turn to look. The dogs... 
Interior, the kennel. Empty. Clark and Gary examine the latch of the kennel door. Gary. Doesn't look broken. No. Door was wide open. I know I latched it. Exterior, compound above the underground kennel. Close on dogs' tracks in the snow. They lead from the kennel's open stairwell and out onto the ice. All the men have gathered. Clark. All three of them took off. McCready is writing down what appears to be a list on a pad. Dr. Copper. How long do you suppose they've been gone? Clark. I haven't seen them since their last feeding. Could have been as much as 24 hours. McCready. They couldn't have gotten that far in this weather. Gary and several others turn to McCready quizzically. You're not thinking of going after them, are you? I am going after them. Norris. What in the hell for? Even if Blair's right, they'll just die out there. They'll have food, they're over a thousand miles from anything. Palmer. Chopper ain't going to be ready for days. McCready hands his list to Bennings. Get these things out of supply and meet me over by the snowmobile. Gary. You're not going to catch them in one of those with the start they got. McCready. Palmer. How long would it take you to strap those big four-cylinder carburetors on? Palmer grins. Uh, I got you. Not too long. And get a move on. Childs, come with me. He puts his arm around Childs and pulls him along. The others watch them walk off a little bewildered. Gary. Besides, what are you going to do when you catch up to them? Bennings is reading McCready's list. Holy shit. He hands the list to Gary. Whatever he's going to do, he ain't fucking around. Exterior outdoor work area, close on the barrel of a large torch. A fierce stream of flame bursts from its nozzle. Pull back. The stream has shot out some 15 feet. Childs has been modifying it. I can get maybe another five or six feet out of it. That's good enough. Close on Palmer as he works on the snowmobiles. Into frame rolls a wheelbarrow on sleds. A box marked dynamite is its most prominent article. Pull back. Bennings reads off the list of supplies. All right. Box of dynamite. Box of thermite. Three shotguns. Box of flares. Two flare guns. 30 cans gasoline. And a case of alcohol. Let's load them. Exterior Antarctica, ice scape. The two vehicles rip across the hard, flat ice bolstered by the added horsepower. They follow the still visible dog tracks in the snow. Cut to the sun, sliding across the horizon, signaling midday. The snowmobiles whoosh past. Bennings drives the one loaded with supplies. McCready and Childs double up on the other. Cut to McCready, steadying his binoculars while Child drives, spots something up ahead. The vehicles slow down and come to a halt. 
Something lies just ahead of them in the whiteness in the middle of the dog tracks. The men kneel down by the something. It is the half-eaten remains of a dog, its hind legs and lower stomach picked clean, its ripped hide flapping in the wind, its top half missing. What is it? McCready follows the line of continuing dog tracks. Maybe dinner? Bennings. Dogs don't eat each other. I know. Where's the other half? Probably the next meal. McCready moves to the snowmobile and grabs a two-gallon can of gasoline. He turns to Bennings. Where are these tracks headed? Nowhere. Just straight to the ocean. A beat as McCready takes this in. He pours the gas over the remains and sets it aflame. Let's move. Childs and Bennings are not that anxious to continue. It could be hours ahead of us, Mac. Gonna be dark soon, too. Supposed to be 50 below tonight. McCready gets on and revs up the engine. Turn back if you want. Childs and Bennings return shrugs. Cut to the sun, making its last pass rolling off the horizon. Only a slight orange hue left. The snowmobiles move slower, positioned on either side of the tracks. The tracks abruptly change direction, and the men come to a stop. It is much colder now, their beards a mask of white powder. McCready surveys the new direction. They are headed toward a far-off ridge of bluffs, large, windswept mounds of ice. Cut to the snowmobiles as they move through a valley of newly formed dunes and tall ice cliffs. The last of the sun obscured, the headlamps are turned on and pointed at the tracks. The men look behind, in front, and from side to side as they proceed cautiously through the maze. Up ahead, McCready spots a dog. It sits, its back to them, unconcerned, heedless of their arrival. It is munching on the other half of the dog carcass. The men stop their machines some 20 yards from it. They are hemmed in at the valley's narrowest point. Childs, carrying the torch, and McCready, armed with a thermite bomb, wade awkwardly but carefully towards the animal in their snowshoes. Benning stands back by the snowmobiles. Childs and McCready spread out some dozen feet from the dog. It continues to pay them no mind, content to chew its food. Where's the other one? Benning surveys the tops of the snow bluffs that encircle them with his flashlight. Where's your buddy, boy? Huh? No response. McCready searches the near vicinity with his light. All three are growing uneasy. Let the thing fly, Childs. Don't let up until he's ash. Childs turns on the gas and lights the tip. Bennings is still watching the bluffs. Something from beneath the snow reaches up and grabs his feet. He is ripped back down through the hard snow in one incredibly powerful motion. He screams, his head the only thing sticking out of the ice. Childs and McCready turn, confused, unable to see anything but Bennings' screaming head. They rush toward him. McCready stumbles. The sound of a snapping, a crackling to McCready's rear. He freezes, turns back to the dog. Its back is still to him, its coat of hair sticking up like that of a porcupine. It snarls, its face turns slowly toward him, its skin splitting, its mouth ripping open wildly. Child! Child stops, confused as to who to help first. He notices the dog hunched and ready to spring. 
He steps back towards McCready. The dog thing leaps for McCready, an incredible jump of some 20 feet. Childs lets loose a blast, hitting the dog in midair, the force of the spray knocking it back and tumbling to the ice in flames. McCready throws his thermite canister. It discharges and engulfs the screeching animal in fire. Bennings is howling in pain. The ice underneath him thrashes violently. Childs and McCready stand by helplessly, unable to see what has him or what action to take. Childs moves closer to help. McCready pulls him back. Stay back! Benning's head disappears with a sudden jerk through the ice. The ice continues to rumble like boiling water, moving in different directions. Part of Benning's body pops up in a different area and is just as quickly pulled back down. McCready and Childs watch on in frustration and anger. What are we going to do? How the fuck do I know? Benning's head and shoulders then surface near one of the snowmobiles. Something has him, unclear as to what. The jowls of a dog, but huge. Benning's heavy clothing begins to rip, tear, as if his skin underneath was bulging out. The jowls seem to be absorbing his head. McCready runs for the snowmobile. Torch him! But he's gone already! Do it! Childs blasts away. The ice begins to melt as Bennings and whatever has him catch fire. A screeching. McCready grabs cans of gas from the snowmobiles. Suddenly, a steel-like, arachnid-shaped arm shoots out in pain and with incredible force pierces the fiberglass chassis of the snowmobile. McCready is knocked back. He recovers and dumps cans of gasoline on the writhing mess. He dives and rolls away from the lunging appendage. He and Childs watch on as Bennings and the Thing roar in flame. Behind them, the other dog Thing continues to burn. The screeching, mewing, and gurgling wails on all about them. They look to each other in disbelief, their faces illuminated by the flickering flames. The strident sounds begin to subside. The sun, its slim orange arc sets, signaling the start of the vernal equinox and the beginning of six months of darkness. Once again, a huge thanks to the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. Without them, there's no way I could have put this together, so please check out Centauri Express and Mercury, A Broadcast of Hope at www.artc.org. A special thanks to their players who gave their voices to this episode. Joe Ravenson as Childs and Clark, David Benedict as Bennings, Trevor Garner as Gary, Bob Brown as Dr. Copper, William Allen Rich as Norris, Zachary Valdo as Palmer, and Chris Jones as McCready. Again, if you want to learn more about these talented people, please visit www.artc.org. Enjoy your Halloween and the rest of this week's episodes, and keep an eye on your feed for minutes 66 through 70, which are coming soon, I promise. Thanks so much for listening, and happy Halloween. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. 
Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Thank you.